Hey, is anybody enjoying the fall? The fall weather? Okay, three of you. Great, awesome. Good. The rest of you, you would rather have it be negative eight for a high today? I guess not. We actually have a fall this year. Isn't that awesome, right? Sometimes it just goes from 85 to 35 in four days, and then that was our fall. Uh, but God has been really, really, really cool. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I hope that you're taking time uh, to breathe it in. I hope that you're taking time to slow down and to take it in. We can get really, really busy, can't we? And then we blink, and then it's January. And you're like, man, I, I missed the fall. I, I missed it. I was running around being so busy that I just didn't take time to stop and breathe it in. My wife and I live on Kingman, and if you have any of you have driven down Kingman Boulevard, you know that this time of year the trees kind of form a canopy over the road, and you just, you know, Polk or whatever road you're on, you just kind of drive down. It just kind of feels like God just is like, here, here's a beautiful painting. And I think God says, I hope you're taking time to soak it in. And I think that that same idea can be applied to God's word. I hope you're taking time to breathe it in. I hope that you're take, God is painting this beautiful picture right in front of us, and I hope that you're taking him up on that offer. This morning at our early service, it was Bible Sunday for our children that are in Kingdom Quest, and we had a whole bunch of kids up, up here and their parents, and a lot of them for the first time uh, received their own Bible. The older kids got this one, and the younger kids got one of those awesome children's Bibles, which if you're ever confused about the Bible, start with the children's Bible. They're awesome, and they have pictures. Um, start there. But I was thinking about it, I'm thinking about all these kids that were lined up here this morning and they were looking out, not at you right now, obviously, but they were looking out at us as adults. They were looking out at us as parents and grandparents and neighbors and friends. And I don't know what is going on in their little children's mind, probably besides I need more sugar, I need more donut holes. But other than that, what might be going on in their mind is, I wonder what this thing's all about. Like, I don't know, should I use it or should I use it to hit my sister or what, what is this for? Um, and they're looking to you. As the adults and the people that are around them in your lives, if you're parents today, you, you know this. Your kids are watching you. And when they're watching you, they're asking the question, so what's really important in life? Like, what should my priorities be? And my question for you is, how often do they see you using this? Is, is it a thing that kind of sits on the shelf in your living room to look at, or is it something that's beat up and tattered and torn and used because you've used it so much? There's this phrase that goes something like this. You can only lead people where you're going yourself. You can only reproduce who you are. So the question is, what are we reproducing as a church? And if today's Bible Sunday for the kids, I thought, man, we should probably be doing that as well. Are you taking time to soak it in? Are you reading scripture when it's convenient or when it's easy or is it because it's your daily bread? It's because you need it. And so it's because it's Bible Sunday for the kids. You know what? It's Bible Sunday for all of us, and there's Bibles under the chairs every single week, so here's what I would love. Grab one of those. I'd love for every single one of you to have a Bible, and if you don't have one, grab one. If you didn't bring one with you today, grab one, and it's going to be Bible Sunday for everybody. Amen? That's what we're going to do today. So don't listen to the message today without your Bible, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. So go ahead and crack that open. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and they're in the, the back of your Bible there. The one that, that uh, Norma read for us is from the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to have a little fun today as we dive into this. We're Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing this sermon series called The Jesus Tour, and I will be your tour guide this morning. We're walking. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking, and we're walking 
through the places where Jesus lived on our map up here uh, this morning around the Sea of Galilee, around Nazareth. Uh, This is the place where Jesus actually lived and walked. And maybe some of you have been to the Holy Land. It's an incredible experience. You're there. Like These are places that Jesus actually walked. And so as we go throughout this series, and I hope that every time that you read these stories, particularly in the Gospels, you're asking yourself, what would it have been like to actually walk with Jesus? to have been there, to have experienced this. It's not, oh, some old dusty history book that sits on the shelf. What does God want to say to you today? And are you going to give him a chance? Are you going to open up the Bible or are you just going to kind of take my word for it? Don't, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. I feel like we're on reading rainbow, but don't take my word for it. It's the word of God. You should read it too, right? So we're in Matthew chapter 5 and we're, we're going through the Jesus tour and we, we saw Jesus get baptized By uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan River, he begins his ministry. Last week, he called his first disciples, um, and he said, come and see, follow me. That's his call to every single one of us. And now, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. And I know it's kind of a weird analogy, but in a way, because I know it's like political season. Everybody excited about political ads on TV? That's the only thing you'll ever hear me say about politics in a sermon, by the way, that I I can be done with all the commercials. Um, In a way, Jesus is starting his campaign He's got three years to do it, and this is his inauguration speech, okay? And he's getting ready, so it better be good. If he wants to be popular, if he wants people to follow him, if he really wants to draw the crowds, this first sermon, this first speech better knock it out of the park. I mean, Jesus, you've got us here. Say something really profound. Say something really important. Jesus, say something that's going to make sense and that all of us are going to understand. So Jesus stands up. Well, actually, he doesn't stand up. He sits down. Uh, on a hillside, and the people, thousands of people are gathered around him. And this is what Jesus says. Verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who are wrecked. (laughs) Who their life feels like a disaster. You're blessed. Blessed are those this morning that are emotionally empty. The Greek word here for poor is pitosis. Everybody say pitosis. No, it's not some disease you want to stay away from. It's the Greek word for poor, and it doesn't just mean no money. Jesus isn't going after people that are rich. Money can be an evil if you let it become an idol. Jesus isn't talking about that. Pitosis literally means not no, just no money or you're in poverty. It literally means no thing, nothing. Jesus stands up in front of thousands of people and said, Blessed are those who might have nothing in the eyes of the world, but they're blessed because they realize they're desperate for God. The people who have nothing going for them are the people that are winning. Isn't that a big phrase in our culture these days? Who's winning, right? And in the eyes of the world, you would say, Jesus, what are you thinking? Don't, don't, don't say that. No, 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 no. Jesus, have you looked around our world? I mean, look around our world today. If you're winning... That means that you've got to have this amount of money. 
You've got to keep up with everybody around you and have a certain kind of house. You've got to have a certain kind of car. You certainly need to be married because something might be wrong with you if you're not. You certainly must have a high-paying job. Your kids have to behave perfectly. At least mine do. I don't know about you. And certainly, if you're going to be blessed, you should be a good little church attender. Jesus says, no, all that doesn't really matter in my kingdom. It might matter in this kingdom that you find yourself in in this world, but those are not the primary criteria to be in my kingdom. And here's the thing. We can talk about Matthew 5 all day long, but you're not going to fully understand until we get the context and the world that Jesus was living in. It was a different kind of kingdom. This kingdom was not ruled by Jesus. It was ruled by the Romans. It was ruled by Caesar. And everybody that was governed by the Romans knew Caesar is Lord. It's his kingdom. And what he says goes. He is the final authority. And above all else, this Roman government, this this tyranny, this dictatorship was oppressive to people that are poor, broken, and empty. Along comes the carpenter from Nazareth, who happens to be a rabbi, who happens to have no home. He is homeless. He's a homeless rabbi. Walks up on the side of a hill by the Sea of Galilee, starts giving the sermon and says, you're missing it. The people that are really winning in life are the people that are on the bottom or that feel like they're on the bottom. Those are the people that really have it going for them. Anybody, think about this, anybody that would dare challenge Caesar as Lord, don't don't worship anybody else, worship Caesar because he's God, anybody that would dare challenge that would either be a lunatic or they would be God. And Jesus was a little bit of both according to whoever you ask. Jesus walks in, you remember back in the, in the book of Mark. So think about the context. It's the Romans. It's a dictatorship. Nobody else is Lord. Don't, so any, don't say anything that might get you in trouble, Jesus. And the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth as he starts his ministry is in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. <laughs> Repent and believe the good news. <laughs> Jesus, what are you talking about? You're going to get yourself arrested. I mean, Jesus, you might even get yourself killed. Oh, wait, maybe that was the point. The kingdom of who? The kingdom of Caesar? No, the kingdom of God. The the good news? Think about who Jesus is talking to. People that are desperate for good news. For the last 500 years, they have been oppressed by the Roman government and, and by Caesar and this dictatorship, and they're looking around going, I don't see any good news around me. My life is going nowhere. I, I, I have nothing going for me in life. I am, I am being oppressed by a dictatorship. Good news? Jesus, the only good news that you could possibly bring in your kingdom is if you were one of those military kings that came in on a horse with your thousands and a big old army and just kicked out the entire Roman government and set us free. Now that would be good news. That would be good news. Because I look all around as Jesus, there's not a lot of good news. There's just bad news. And when we're faced with that, which isn't it ironic that 2,000 years later, you and I still look at the world around us and it's just full of bad news. You don't have to look, just look at the evening news, right? If you want to be depressed, watch the news, right? I'm sorry. 
that that's the case. And so the temptation is to look all around us and think, well, the answer is just think happy thoughts. Just twist it and, and think positive thoughts. Or you could just be like Jimmy Fallon in The Tonight Show and just assume that what if everything was good news? What if everything is good news? Some of you have maybe seen this segment. Maybe this will help us find some good news. Let's take a look at Jimmy Fallon. Doesn't that make you feel better, right? What if the evening, I would watch the news if it was like that every night, right? Doesn't it make you feel better? There's no bad news. Just cheer up and be happy. But the problem is, we laugh, but that wasn't Jesus' message. Jesus says, the reason I came is because there's bad news all around you. And I know that 2,000 years later, you're still desperate for good news in your life. So that's why Jesus came. And the crowds are gathering. And the anticipation is building around Jesus. And there's thousands of people in the crowds gathering around him. And Jesus sits down on the side of the hill and gets out his big sound system. He sits down and everybody's rating. Here's the big speech from the next military general, the king that's going to kick out the Romans. And this is going to be good news for everybody. The people that are blessed are those who are poor. That's what my kingdom is about. The people that are blessed are those who are mourning, for they will be comforted. The people that are really doing well in life are those that are humble. The people that are winning are those who are desperate to see justice in our world. The people that have it really going for them in this life are those whose hearts are pure, even if nobody else can tell except the God that created them. They're winning. And I would imagine that the disciples are going, Jesus, you're blowing it. This was your shot. This is your platform. This is your agenda. Jesus said, this is my yoke. All rabbis had a yoke. Not an egg yoke, not an oxen yoke, but a yoke, a, a way of life. And if you follow that rabbi or this rabbi, they had a yoke. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's my platform. I don't know about you, but I want to follow that rabbi. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed a lot of the time. And we have a God and we have a Jesus that just meets us right in the middle of that. And all the crowds are going, this is the kingdom we've been waiting for. This is the good news that we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, yeah, it's exactly it. Because I came to give you what you need, not just what you want. The Greek word here for blessed is makarioi. Everybody say makarioi. No, I don't, I, you're not too excited about it. Say it again. Macarioi. Macarioi. It's not macaroni. It's not the macarena. That's this, right? This is macarioi. Macarioi. And if you want to do all the background and look at the, the context of it, this, this Greek word doesn't translate perfectly into English, so they wrestled around. If you do your exegesis and your contextual historical work on this scripture, which I know you do every Sunday before you come, uh, you will find a definition something like this. And let's read it together, starting with God's. God's untouchable joy for you, completely independent of life's chances and changes. Mac Arioi. What I wouldn't do for untouchable joy. Not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Get this. 
the good news of Jesus' kingdom isn't about bringing good news, isn't about finding a joy that you have to escape your current circumstances to somehow get. In other words, the good news of Jesus' kingdom is that you can experience makarioi, you can be blessed, you can experience an untouchable joy right in the middle of whatever you're going through today. That's the good news of the kingdom. We don't need to make a spoof and say there's only good news and there's good news. Jesus says, I know there's bad news. I know what you're going through in your life today. I know it might be dark, and there is light, baby. There is good news to be had, and it starts by knowing me and being in a relationship with me. That's what my kingdom is about, Jesus says. Oh, man, now that's something I can get behind, because I don't need a God that just kind of shoves my problems under a rug. I need a God that looks at the darkness in my life and takes it head on, and that's what Jesus does in his kingdom. There's bad news, and then there's Good news. And he says, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for purpose and meaning in your life, you're going to find it when you finally get to the end of yourself and you get over yourself. (laughs) You're going to find it when you stop trying to be so strong and admit that you're weak, and that's where God's going to meet you. You're going to experience the kingdom in its fullness when you get to the end of your rope and you realize that God was all you needed in the first place. So when you've reached the end of yourself and you are desperate, that's right where God wants you. God says, now we can start. Stop trying to control your life and fall back into the arms of my grace. That's what the kingdom is about. So often what we do is that we just look at the message, message of Jesus and we don't step back and look at how he communicated it. What's this kingdom all about, Jesus said. And instead of preaching at us all the time, Jesus shows us and demonstrates what the kingdom is all about. If you've got your Bibles open still, flip back to Matthew chapter 4. What's happening before the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? What is Jesus doing? He's giving a series of lectures at the synagogue. No. He's not. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. News about him spread all over Syria, and people were brought to him, all who were ill with diseases, suffering and pain. The demon possessed those having seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. I don't know about you. When I read this and I read the Gospels, all of a sudden it just hit me. Jesus spent very little time trying to argue with anybody or convince anybody of anything. Jesus spent a majority of his time transforming lives, and that was the best sermon he ever gave. Jesus spent very little time trying to beat people over the head with God's word and saying, you need to believe this, and if not, you're going to hell and all this stuff. I don't see Jesus doing that. I just see him going around and meeting people right where they're at completely changing their life and that is what makes the kingdom grow is because people go he changed my life well maybe he could change yours too and maybe what that means for us is that the best form of evangelism that we could have is not sending you a postcard in the mail or putting a billboard up that says come to hope des moines you know what the best evangelism we have as a church you this is who i was this is what jesus did in my life and this is who I am now. That's your testimony, that's your story, and that's the best evangelism tool that you have. That is the best way to share the good news. When I look at Jesus' life, that's what he did. So why would we not model it after 
that. Why would we not do that? Jesus is going around and he's not just talking at people and yelling at people. He's demonstrating the kingdom. It's almost like he does show and tell. Does anybody remember show and tell? Did you ever do that in school? You ever remember that? Or am I the only one? More people than that, right? Okay, you remember show and tell. Okay, you know what it's all about. So you, you come to school and it's show and tell day and so you bring your baseball cards or your comic book or your your pet hamster or your jump rope or whatever you bring, right? And the point is that you're not just telling people about it, you're showing them. So you jump rope or you juggle or your hamster does a trick or something like that. There's a show and then there's a tell. And the point is you're not just yakking at people, you're demonstrating it. That's what makes it believable. Matthew 4 is the show. Matthew 5 is the tell. That's a way of remembering it. Jesus says, I'm not just going to tell you about the kingdom. I'm going to show you first. And then I'm going to tell you. Guess who the people were that were around Jesus when he was preaching? Like when he's up on the hillside giving the Sermon of the Mount, the Beatitudes, who do you think are the people that are around him? Well, if you read Matthew 4, you realize it's the people that have just experienced the kingdom. It's the left out, the left over, the left behind, the beggars, the cripples, the disease, those who had just experienced it. He's, stand, he's sitting among those people whose lives he's just changed, those people who had just been touched by the hand of God. Do you think they're going to pay attention to a sermon now? Can you imagine if I was able to connect with every single one of you, which I long to do but can't, and if I just hung out with you up here and you came and sat down with me and you just told me about your life for 10 or 15 minutes and then I just prayed for you and I was able to encourage you and just talk to you all about how God's kingdom is amazing and I want you to be all in for Jesus. And I just poured out my heart to you and just prayed for you and laid my hands on you and blessed you. And then a few minutes later, you're sitting listening to a sermon. <laughs> you're probably going to listen to me a little bit more intently, aren't you? than just some random pastor that's yakking at you. Well, Jesus knew that. It's that phrase that people may forget what you say and what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Jesus is the smartest guy in the world. Of course he knew that. So here he is surrounded by all these people. So it would make sense if you're hanging out with a bunch of nobodies and people that think they got nothing going for them in life, Jesus starts a sermon not by saying, all right, who doesn't want to go to hell when they die? Jesus starts a sermon by saying, could anybody use a second chance at life? That'll grab your heart. Because everybody in the crowd that day, and maybe some of you are here today thinking, he's talking about me. I'm not just a random person sitting here in the crowd like, that guy's talking about me. He's talking right to my heart. And Jesus, now that I've got your attention, let me tell you what life is really all about. What's down is up, and what's up is down. And the people that you look around you in the world and you think, they're really winning, they're not. The people that are the most popular and the people that you think have it all going for them are actually some of the most lonely people in the world. Jesus says, let me tell you what life is really all about. 
Jesus isn't just telling us about the kingdom, he's telling us how to spread it. And I don't know about you, but when I look around our city and I realize the tens and thousands of people that are broken and lost and hurting just right around here and where we're moving in our new neighborhoods down there, we need a lot less arguers and debaters about faith. And we need a lot more friends. We need a church that has a lot more compassion, less arguing, more compassion, less taking, more radical generosity. People are willing to just give themselves away, whatever that is. When it comes to the kingdom, less talk, more action. When it comes to being the church, less talk, more action. That's what I believe we need more of. And, and, and I don't know about you, but it, it's really easy, I think, when we listen to a sermon like this to just be like, well, I know who it's for. It, you know, the, the kingdom is about those people. Jesus is talking about all the poor and the sick and the lame. That's not me. I want you to imagine for a second you in the crowd that day. You close your eyes, don't fall asleep, but if it helps you focus, do that. Just imagine for a second you're on the hillside and you can hear the sea and the wind blowing in your face, and you've climbed up this hill, and you've pushed your way through the crowd, and you're there with thousands of people, and you walk up, and you, you push your way to the front, and you, you expect to see a king on a throne that's telling you, you need to figure it out and shape up and get your life together. And instead, you see this gentle, kind rabbi sitting on the ground, claiming to be God, and as you push your way to the front, you get there just in time for this rabbi to look you in the eyes and say, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because when there's less of you, there's more room for God. I came for people that think that they've lost everything but because they feel like they've lost everything, then they can be embraced by the one who has everything. This rabbi looks you in the eyes and says, you're blessed when you're content with who you are. No more, no less, because that's the moment that you will find yourself the owner of everything that cannot be bought. And then maybe just for fun, that rabbi looks you right in the eyes this morning, you, and says, do you know how loved you really are? And if you hear me say nothing else, I love you. Yeah, God for so God so loved the world, but man, He loves you. Even if you think you're just a face in the crowd today, and He just looks right at you. The crowd there that day, and to us, Jesus says, "You're blessed." Not because you've been good enough to find the kingdom. You're blessed because the kingdom have found you. The Beatitudes are not a list of things that you need to do to be a good enough Christian. The Beatitudes are an example of what it looks like when ordinary, broken people have a head-on collision with God's makarioi, his untouchable joy. And your brokenness and your imperfections and your limitations collide with God's grace. And then you realize maybe being a Christian isn't about having it all together. It's actually the opposite. That we actually come to faith when we stop putting our trust in ourselves and we just say, I can't do it anymore. Jesus, I can't be good enough. No matter how hard I try, I keep messing up. 
And so I'm just going to collapse into your arms and that's going to be enough because you are enough, Jesus. That's the point. Makarioi, his untouchable joy. Jesus says, I came for you. Now let me show you how to have a real life. If you had to sum up Jesus' message, it would be this. Get a life. You can tell, tell people that your pastor told you to say that, right? Get a life, Jesus says. I want you to have life. And when you start experiencing the kingdom, what happens is Jesus comes and he starts to turn your world right side up. The world says this. Jesus says, no, actually, I'm not going to turn your world upside down. I'm going to turn it right side up because the world as it exists right now is upside down. And Jesus says, I'm going to put your priorities and your values back in line. And it may look something like maybe keeping up and comparing yourself to everybody around you is never really going to make you happy. That maybe the most mature Christians are the ones who aren't too proud to admit that they need help. You see a lot of people that follow Jesus their entire life and they never admit they need help and they never ask anybody for help. Like, isn't that what it means to be the church? Go up to people. How are you? Fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Just take off the mask. At least for Sunday morning. Just take off the mask. It's okay. You don't have to be fine. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. That maybe when we start learning about the kingdom, we realize that maybe getting filled up is not by consuming church, (laughs) but by getting over ourselves and serving. Seriously, I don't know about you, but the people that have had the most joy in this church this weekend, as I've walked around and and talked with people, one, it was the people that were down at the building yesterday serving. And are they after anybody? Okay. Um, The people down at the building serving... There's people down there that are, that are cutting cement and they're getting covered in dust and soot. There's people that are intricately shaving uh, tape, masking tape off of, a, off of a door that's stuck to the door and they're having a blast. And I'm like, you're weird. And the world would look at that and saying, what a waste of your Saturday. It's because they're not living in God's kingdom. It'd be crazy unless... You're living in a different kingdom. You say, no, I'm serving because this is what I was created to do. People have the most joy in this church are the ones that serve, are the ones that people that don't just come in and consume, they actually be the church. And the people that came and set all this up hours before any of us got here this morning are having a blast. Why? Because what's down is up and what's up is down. (laughs) What you think is going to fill you up is not really going to fill you up in this world. Less of us and more of God. We start to experience the kingdom. We start to realize that God is just as passionate about the people who are not here this morning as he is about those of us that are here. And we ask him to break our heart for the things that break his. It's why we tell you to never stop inviting. It's why we started our breakfast club, Homeless Outreach Ministry, five years ago. And it's why I'm excited that we're starting a brand new ministry adventure uh, at Hope uh, that is specifically reaching out to people that are not here yet. And so instead of me telling you about it, I'm going to invite up my friend uh, to tell you a little bit about it. And this is Luis Arredondo. Everybody say, hi, Luis. Hi, Luis. Hello. Hello. Awesome. So Luis is uh, not from Iowa. Kind I'm of you are. from Russia. I get just <laughs> a little good tan. So just to give you a little update on what's going on here is uh, a couple years ago, Hope started to realize that uh, there is a growing population in the city of Des Moines, and it is Latino population. And we need to do something about that. And so just several months ago, Luis came on staff 
uh, at Hope. I don't even know what your title is. But. Six weeks ago, and my title is Assistant to the Pope. <laughs> okay, awesome. So he's. I'm kidding. It's a cultural. Wow, that's amazing. Diversity. Coordinator. Ministry, something. You're that one guy. Um, and so we are excited that we're moving in. Luis is hanging out with us on staff at Hope Des Moines uh, quite a bit, and we're going to be doing some new uh, ministry ventures in the year ahead. And uh, I just wanted you to get to know him uh, a little bit as a, a new member of our staff. And so, uh, Luis, give us the Reader's Digest version. Who are you? All right, let's and where start, did you come from? Let's start with, uh, with uh, putting it together where I'm from. Uh, anybody been to Mexico before? Raise your hand. Where you been? Mexico City. Mexico City. Very Good. nice. Where else? Where else have you been? Mexico City. Oh, cool. Cancun. Nice. All right, yeah. nice. Well, Cancun is the opposite of where I'm from, but it's a really cool place. <laughs> what else? What are the towns? Juarez. Juarez? Ooh. Ooh. Don't go there at night. <laughs> Yeah, I've been there before. And anyway, uh, Cancun is right here, right? This is Mexico. For those people from Michigan, they like to tell where they're from with the Michigan hand. Well, this is Mexico with, the, with missing the little, stick, the little stick in the bottom. So I'm from in the middle of nowhere, Durango, Gomez Palacio, Durango. If you can spell that backwards, I'll give you a dollar. Uh, but actually something that I shared before is that uh, most of my time I spend it in a small little village in Mexico that I, can, I think I can relate a lot to people that grew up in the farm here in Iowa. Uh, farming community, uh, probably like 40, not everybody, of course, p people are from the city too. Mm -hmm. But um, there, there was about 40 uh, houses in my little village, and funny enough, the name of our town was called, or town, village was yeah. La Esperanza. Anybody speak Spanish over there, out here? Anybody know what La Esperanza means? Yeah. So the name of my little town was Hope in Mexico. Can you believe that? So it's just like a really random thing that happened. So I grew up, uh, my parents were wanted by the government. I can tell you more of the story later. But uh, I grew up with my grandmother and 13 uncles and aunts running around. Uh, most of my time I spent there playing soccer, marbles. I'm really good. And I wanted to show you my favorite um, sport that I'm trying to make it for the Olympics. But it's not an Olympic sport yet. But I'm going to show you. I'm going to do a little demonstration of okay, school demonstration. just to wake people up. Is it skiing? or? Yeah, kind of. I need a volunteer with good hands. Anybody good hands? All right, come on up. I'm not just going to scream. It's show and tell. That's what we're it's doing. show and, show and tell, tell. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so this is a game that we played in. So. That's how I that's a, There are new ministry that's starting there right there. Absolutely. So Luis, tell us this. You are on staff at Hope now. Why would a church like Hope in the middle of Iowa, which most people think is a large cornfield, why would people at Hope think it was important to let alone to, to bring somebody on staff that has a Latino background, let alone start an entire ministry that's geared to reaching out multiculturally? Why, why would a church like Hope see that as important? Well, two ways that I like to explain this is uh, kind of like corporations and churches that are with it, I think, they're sensitive to what God is doing, but also sensitive to what is happening in, around them. So as you know, I mean, I know we have about 350 million people in Des Moines, in Des Moines, in Iowa. Uh, in case you don't know, that's less people, less than how many pigs there are in, in the country. <laughs> anyway, that was a, not that funny, but uh, there is about 6% of the population is Latino. Uh, and not only that, but there's a thousand, at least a thousand refugees coming in every year to Des Moines, just to Des Moines. And um, a couple of the statistics that I wanted to show you is that, or to tell you about is the medium age group for the state of Iowa is 38-year-old people. 
So that's the median. For the Latino population, it's 22. So what does that mean is that the, there is also a 200% increase from the last census in 2000 to the one in 2010. 200%, you said. 200%. Well, 197, so I just kind of <laughs> rounded off, but that was pretty close. So with that, with just with those numbers, not only Latinos, but people from all over the world that are coming to the Moines, Iowa. I don't know, maybe it's friendliness. I think there's also good jobs, at least for undocumented people. Uh, here you have less patrol immigration that you can work more freely. I would say. So there's a lot of reasons why we're coming to Iowa. So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but, yeah. but the diversity is coming. And not only that, but we're moving to Ingersoll and MLK. So we, like it or not, we're going to be in a very more diverse population. And if you would, uh, would read some of the statistics, the north, north of uh, 235 and east of uh, MLK, it's, it's about 30 to 40%. Latino, only Latino, mm -hmm. not even considering all the other races. So wow. we're just moving into a neighborhood that is going to be very different. But something that I like about about here, Des Moines, the, the side here is that you guys are already experiencing a lot of that, even just coming out of West Des Moines. I mean, I know we have a long way to go, but even looking around this, this room in the 9 o'clock, we're a lot more diverse than a lot of churches in Des Moines. So I'm excited what, what God is doing, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't have the magic the magic, so actually I, I did tell the people, I, yeah. I let the secret out. I do have the secret uh, to, for, Des Moines, for us to change the city of Des Moines. What is it? Do you guys want to know what the secret is? Uh, I brought it from Chicago. I've been in Chicago the last 10 years, and something that I got to tell you is that when each one of us just goes to God and says, God, how do you want to use me? What can I do? What are the needs in the city, and how can I be a part of it? Because like it or not, everybody around us is going to be more and more diverse in your neighborhood, in your, co in your workplace, everywhere that you go, especially if you go to the kitchen of a restaurant, you know that <laughs> no, they're not going to look like most of us. Well, most of you guys. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what, uh, that's, uh, it's not just by hiring me we're going to change the city, but it's, it's, I'm going to be part of the solution. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the Absolutely. city. So. Well, we're so excited to have uh, Luis on staff, and Andy and I are both from Story City, Iowa, so it's good to have somebody from Mexico. So we're excited about that. Welcome, Luis, to our staff and to Hope. Absolutely. You betcha. Yeah. If, you are, if you are interested in learning more about what we're going to be doing in the coming year in terms of our outreach, outreach to not only the Latino population, but as we just become more uh, culturally diverse here at Hope Des Moines, uh, Luis is going to be hanging out uh, in the back by the Connect Here banner, uh, and he'd love to connect with you. And I, and I know that uh, on a day like today, on a sermon like today, um, some of you are sitting there going, well, pastor wants us to go and reach out to those people. And, and every single one of us is like, there's us and then there's them. And whoever the thems are in your life, we like to think, oh, it's for those poor people. It's for the Latinos. It's for the needy people. It's for whoever. Have you ever stopped and considered that maybe the good news is for you? That you need to receive it today as well?